there's a creepy man in a white mask. There is one element in this movie. Where? Where it ends that I'm not sure I fully understand. And I will talk on that in just a moment. And he keeps, like, trying to play hide and seek with us. Where did you see him? Look! Michael looking through his bedroom window. I'm not sure if that will be followed through with or if we got what we got. It feels like they're possibly setting something up and it could go in so many directions. If it goes anywhere, I hope it isn't stupid, which leads to my biggest concern of where they might go with Michael. In this movie, the mob very clearly and they literally say it, becomes the evil that they are trying to vanquish. Michael takes the mob down. Could they be low-key setting up for a sympathetic Michael Myers? Something about how Michael Myers became evil because of an evil world that pushed him to become evil? There's also a story thread that Michael was just an awkward kid who liked to look out of his window, and then one day, he just snapped. What causes him to snap? Does he see Lori's dad beating on mom or maybe Mrs. Elrod being beat by Mr. Elrod? Michael obviously likes to creep and observe the world around him, so this could fall in line. We know, too, from this movie that Michael just wants to go home. Oh, I just realized the Elrods are in... Well, they could still be in this movie. So... Michael just wants to go home in this movie. Will they explain that as him just wanting to get away from the outside world, to be a bystander, to watch from his window? However, people just keep getting in his way. They won't leave him to his own peace. Something else I want to talk about here, which I can tie into this um, theory, if you want to call it that, begins with Hawkins. They spend a lot of time on his backstory. They also drug him up at the hospital, just like Lori was in Halloween 2. Symbolism, anyone? Hawkins used to hang out with Michael when they were kids. Did he say or do something to Michael? Could he be the reason that Michael snapped? Lastly, Hawkins also stated that he is going to be the one to take Michael out. Point is, I think that Hawkins may be getting set up here as the Laurie Strode of this trilogy. Don't forget, he is the one that has unfinished business by preventing Dr. Loomis from executing Myers. Now, this is super specific and out there with no evidence, but how do you get your audience to be okay with Laurie dying and Hawkins taking over as the person to finally end him? Which, by the way, if this is the case, it would be silly for them to have uh, Hawkins say or do something cruel to Michael, like I said, could be a scenario. Anyways, remember, I said that maybe Michael witnesses, like, Mr. Strode beating on Mrs. Strode. This wouldn't taint 
Lori specifically, but it would taint the Strode name. And I could see movie makers running with something like that and thinking that that is enough in their minds that audiences would be willing to accept it. I think that made sense. <laughs> and also, just kind of realized after I said that, I just kind of remember that there is a significant distance between the Strode's residence and the Myers house, but I also feel like they seemed closer in this movie. That is, if I have my bearings right on how they shot the locations in this movie. It was a super long shot anyways. I think the fear that I have and the rough path that I think the creators might take in the, uh, third movie is evident. So, yeah, I have this uneasy feeling that somehow they are going to sympathize the character of Michael, which would be so, so dumb and misguided. I also think, assuming that Lori dies, and then maybe we are led to believe that, like, Hawkins will be the one to finish off Michael, but it has to be Lori's granddaughter, right? Uh, Allison, it has to be Allison that finally ends Michael because she loses her entire family to him, I guess, except for Hawkins, maybe. Get to that in a moment. But um, let's, uh, let's go down that road a little bit. If Lori dies, I assume Allison would have to go like into foster care, technically, in which case they would push like that Halloween 4 kind of ending. However, I thought of this prior to realizing that the Hawkins relationship with Lori was more than I thought. I realized that while just going through a Wikipedia uh, plot description of the movie just to make sure I didn't miss any moments that I had really liked or wanted to talk about. And um, the reason that I think I missed it in the movie is that it was kind of quiet and I had to turn up my TV for it to hear it better. So I missed some of what they had been saying to each other. But, you know, if, let's say Hawkins dies before he can tell her, I don't know what, what the case would be for this Halloween 4 type ending, but maybe they would try to create some sort of kinship between Michael and Allison. Um, you know, maybe Michael was fostered too, or some kind of crap like that. Total conspiracy, and all of that would be dumb. I'm just kind of playing out things that wouldn't really shock me. And even with that Hawkins knowledge, somehow forcing that in there wouldn't shock me. They do do a lot of callbacks to things that have happened in previous movies, even though they haven't happened in this timeline. Why wouldn't those stupid things shock me? Because you just know that they are going to overthink this. Last little partial theory or prediction here. Another thing they could do is to have Hawkins and Allison team up to take Michael down just like Laurie and Dr. Loomis did at the end of Halloween 2. I mean, hopefully not exactly like that. And if they were to go down that route, they could set it up that Hawkins were to adopt. Once again, this is before I knew that Hawkins were to, like, adopt um, Allison or be her guardian, which obviously it's going down that path. I would think that's almost inevitable if they both live and Laurie dies. I don't think I said it while revealing that, but yeah, Karen was apparently Hawkins' daughter, which means Lori and Hawkins got, got it on. Now, I would like to address some of the negative things that I am hearing so far about this movie. 
First, I'm hearing complaints that Michael doesn't go to the hospital for the finale. And I'm sorry, but you're an idiot if you thought that that was going to happen because the movie legit told you that it wasn't going to happen when Hawkins said something to Laurie like, Laurie, this isn't about you. Dr. Sertan drove him to your house. Enough said about that. I'm, I don't think you're an idiot. <laughs> but I'm glad that they did not do that. And yeah, they, they told us it wasn't ha- going to happen, so I don't know why people would have expected that to happen at the end. I've also been hearing complaints um, or about uh, Lori being held up at the hospital and not leaving to hunt down Michael. She did get up to join the hunt, but then she gets pretty severely, or she like re-injures her wounds. And so, you know, she realizes that she needs to heal up or she's useless. I mean, she can't do anything until she heals up at least a little bit more. So I don't understand that critique. If she did go out and hunt Michael, you would hear two times the amount of people complaining about how she was able to do that after she suffered such serious injuries previously, just hours before. Here's the long one. I'm also hearing complaints about the crowd chasing this man, this mental patient, who does not look like Michael Myers. True. Some people may know, and some do know, that Michael Myers is definitely taller than that. Those that we know, know this information, those that we know that know this information, do not get a good view of the mental patient. Those that do get a view of him are trying to stop the mob or come to the realization of their mistake, but it's already too late. True also, some people may know what Michael looks like from television documentaries that have been done on him and the internet, but they clearly set up that the younger generation doesn't necessarily have interest or much knowledge of this serial killer from 40 years ago. Editor Steve here, popping in for the first time just to let you know that this does contradict and or make it harder to believe the size of the mob that will be created. I will be back to give the size of the mob some legitimacy, though. In Hollow 18, they have characters making fun of the legend as just another person who killed a few people and What's the big deal is, you know, that's the mentality they give off. And in this movie, they have the doctor and the nurse who are even older than those kids who clearly don't know much about Michael either. Also in this movie, they showed a mugshot of this mental patient right next to Michael's on the news, which on its own should validate some potential confusion for the populace. In addition to this, it has been 40 years So anyone who knows what Michael had looked like from photos that were taken around the time of his slangs or photos from when he's like a six-year-old child, they could believe that he's put on some weight and, you know, not think twice in all of the chaos that he appeared to be taller in the photos. I even heard someone say, They know Michael doesn't walk like that. Excuse me? How in the hell would most of these people in the city, town, know how Michael walks? They haven't had the luxury that we, the audience, has had of watching him in action over the past 10 films. Most people who've seen the guy 
outside of those at the mental, mental institution, and even some of them, I think. No, he didn't break out of the mental institution. But anyways, um, most people who have seen him have died. Plus, let's say they have an idea of his gait. For some reason, maybe the dude got injured while killing people, and now he has a limp, and then combine that with one of the other reasons why they might think this dude is Michael. The idea that the mob mentality causes this situation sits fine with me. I think people are putting our knowledge as the audience of everything into the folks who are starting this chase um, into their minds. Folks who clearly just see this weird, creepy guy who is running around, and they assume Michael, this poor guy. They assume he's Michael. Is it over the top? Sure. Are the amount of people there over the top? Sure. Not that they don't try to explain it. But, I mean, it's not that serious. Give the movie a little bit of a break here. I think it's believable enough to just go along with. And lastly, I felt bad for the mental patient. That's not Michael in this whole situation. All in all, the scene worked for me. Aside from the heavy-handed over-explanation to the audience of what it meant, it is also a little out of place, but I didn't find that it hurt the um, pacing of the film. And I think it also set up some of Judy Greer's story arc, which I haven't quite wrapped my head around yet. I will muse on that a little later. I think this is the last complaint, and it ties directly in with the previous one. The mob itself, and mostly the phrase, evil ends tonight. First of all, in some of my theory from before, this could very well be like very tied into what they plan to do with Michael, this idea of evil ends tonight. Aside from that, it also may not, hopefully won't tie into the third movie, but aside from that, I don't know. The mantra just, it didn't bother me as much as it did others. It's overdone, and there are like three times, I think, where it is said that are completely awkward. But other than that, Tommy Doyle having this mantra sits okay with me. When people are pushing for a cause, they do typically have a short mantra that's easy for those uh, for others to pick up on and understand the cause through that mantra. We know that I agree that it's a bit over the top and all that, but also, is it? This is obviously a condensed, for reasons of theatrics, version of an angry mob that forms. It happens quite suddenly, and it doesn't fully make sense. Editor Steve, yet again, just... Something that I've thought about uh, in the meantime that I've had is that the events of the first movie, a lot of them are going on at the same time as some of the events of this movie, like at the bar. So in terms of how the crowd or how the town could turn from not really caring about Michael to all of a sudden caring about the legend would be that, you know, they're finding out here over the night of all these events, all these police officers and firefighters and their neighbors that are getting killed. 
and they're getting killed. They find out that they're getting killed by the legend of Michael Myers, no matter how much interest they may have had about Michael Myers. Obviously, they would be aware of the legends. So the crowd is too big for that. However, if you kind of think about the timeline of the events of how the first movie and this movie tend to overlap a little bit, I think it helps soften the awkwardness of being able to rile up the town folk so much and, you know, with so many people getting involved. This sort of thing does play out in the real world in one form or another. It doesn't necessarily take the form of a physical, angry mob, especially these days. And it doesn't necessarily end in someone's death. But false accusations leading to an end for someone's career, fear for their lives, or taking their own life, that's a reality. It's a little misplaced in this movie. But like I said before, it doesn't kill the pace of the film, and I sort of liked it. If they had just toned down the exposition, I think it works better then. We're going to jump to the beginning of the movie, and I wished they had either done something different or sped up, uh, not the very beginning, but all the stuff at the bar, especially the literal introduction of the survivors of Michael Myers. I understand why it's in here, most specifically for newer, younger, and just the general audience. It doesn't really lead to much. What it does set up didn't need all of that. And this is one of the bigger issues. They really overpacked this movie with characters, and they struggled with it in the writing. That was clear. Small complaint here. An emergency signal goes out to everyone in town about Michael Myers on their phones. Why didn't Lori and Allison also get that on their phones? I know why. The writers wanted a moment, and that's fine. Well, what did I love that I couldn't talk about before? I loved so hard when Michael caused the doctor lady to shoot herself. That sounds terrible. Absolutely horrible if you are listening and have not seen the movie yet, but it is meant to be funny in that dark and twisted way that I talked about. Also, I got super excited when Stuart was one of the uh, couple at the Myers household. You don't know that Stuart's a character from Mad, Mad, some show on comedy. Stuart, come on over here and meet Brenda. She's the new babysitter. Hi, Stuart. I'm Brenda. It's okay, I'm just trying to say hi. He unfortunately finds out what the real danger zone is. But I also thought that uh, those that couple's portion of the movie was really nice glue that really kept that middle portion of the movie moving along. And it offered a lot of great moments. And unfortunately, at the least, one of those oh-so-goddamn-stupid moments Probably the stupidest one in the movie. But here's another thing I loved, and I absolutely loved it, and that's the moment where it was so, so clear that Michael was very specifically pissed off at the Strodes, all three generations, I'm quite positive. He had malice for the damage that he that they did to him and for leaving him to burn in their house. That moment is... After the gruesome and so well-done bashing of Cameron in the stairwell. 
Michael's walking down, and I thought he was going to give one last, like, elbow blow as he walked past down towards Allison, which, in hindsight, I think that that would have looked awkward. I can't, especially given how slowly he walks downstairs, it just would have been weird him, like, raising his hand up for three stairs before laying down the elbow. Uh, That would have been brutal, but weird looking, I think. So, instead, he just pretty much goes past Cameron as Allison is pleading for his attention. And then Michael realizes what she is doing, that she wants for Cameron to have at least a, I don't know, half of a percent chance of surviving. You can still hear he's wheezing a little bit. And then Michael pauses for just a little bit before snapping the neck of Cameron. And that was such a character moment for Michael. And it just it really solidified his attitude in this movie. The fact that he is pissed off at the Strodes. And I got shivers when that happened. Uh, You know, not shivers out of, like, fright for Cameron, but just what it does for the Michael character. It's so cool. This one I found a little weird that I haven't heard a single person complain about it yet, and that's Michael's mask being removed. I have to assume that that is because of how well that they handled it. It is crazy how well they lit everything in any scene where his mask is off so that you can be looking right at him, but you still can't see his face. You can't. It's like it's there, but it's not. Especially in the close up as he puts the mask on, you can see all this damage that has been done to him, but you you can't make out his face. It's just lovely work. I thought that was awesome. And at first I'm like, oh, God but um, really well handled. Also, the timing of events, um, a little setup here. So the timing of the events of how people and um, Michael at the very end get to where they are going, it's, it's a little wonky and it sort of bothered me, but that also worked to help like explain Michael being upstairs when he's upstairs. Just prior to that, I think some people have an issue with Once again, hearing this voiceover from Lori explaining Michael, but I kind of liked it because you know that Michael can't be dead. There's a third movie. There is a small piece of you that thinks just maybe as Lori explains Michael, essentially stuff that we already know. And and as, I don't know, that explanation, it kind of gives me goosebumps just because of the implication. Not really the words that she's saying. It's the implication of what's coming. And that's that Michael is more than human. And as that becomes evident from what she's saying, I think they nailed the timing where she gets to in that speech while showing a lot, but also not showing too much of that fight. I loved, loved, loved that entire part from Michael putting that mask on, ready for a fight right through to the end of the movie. My only problem still is figuring out what, if there is any, the symbology of Karen trying to save the mental patient's life from the mob to her seeing the clown masked Michael up in the window, six-year-old Michael, I think at least, uh, to her feeling compelled to observe through that window as Michael had used it, I guess. Her doing her good deed is our last hurrah for her, us getting on her good side so that, you know, we'd be sad about her death. Because she was not well-liked as a character in the first movie. 
she was a lot better in this movie. So given that would be the case for that, then I would have to guess that the rest of it was Michael calling out to her, maybe laying a trap, because at this point, he has a vendetta against the family for, from his perspective, causing him all of this pain and hardship when all he wanted to do was go home. Maybe Michael was using her good nature against her since he presented himself as an innocent six-year-old boy. Or was that just a kill of opportunity because she stupidly went up there? I'm not sure. I'll have to pay attention to her character a little more in the future viewings. If it's not Michael calling out to her, then I'm really confused on her seeing the image of the child in the room, which leads me to believe that the window represents Michael's innocence lost. So take that, extrapolate that into the third movie for your own musings. I'll have to wait for Halloween night to try and figure all that out better, though, because that's the next time I'm going to watch this. Can't wait. Little, uh... Little nugget, something to remember for the next movie. Lindsay is also at the hospital. She's still there. She, I don't believe, at least she hasn't died yet. Maybe she did, and I totally forgot that. Could have. But if she didn't, I wonder if Lori's death might be sacrificing herself to protect Lindsay one last time. That would be really, um, you know, touching, symbolic. It would work nicely. So that's my call. You heard it here first. Have a good night and make sure that you get one good scare in this Halloween season. So corny, but I, I liked it in the movie. I liked it. Me saying it, I like it so much. All right, bye-bye.